Welcome to Drilling Deep, home of the coolest intro music on Freightways TV. I would like to tell you that I wrote it, but alas, I can't say that. I didn't even pick it out, but boy, it is cool. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm your host, John Kingston, and Drilling Deep is the place where we drill deep into an issue of the day, and we drill deep into what's going on in oil. You can't get oil unless you drill for it, so as a result, Drilling Deep is the name. It's a little late for Veterans Day, but it's never too late to talk about veterans. Ryder Corporation is one of the companies in the logistics space that is leading the charge to hire more veterans. Todd Skiles is a senior vice president there, and he's going to join us in a few minutes to speak about what Ryder is doing to bring more veterans aboard in his company. Yes, it's Thanksgiving, so I'll suggest to drivers on the East Coast that they give a little thanks. It seems that the giant East Coast diesel squeeze may be over. How bad did it get? In the latest weekly report from the Department of Energy's Energy Information Administration, the national average price for diesel was $5.23.3. In New England, and what the EIA calls the Central Atlantic, it was either side of $5.95. So that's about 70 cents higher. Same country, same product. We've discussed before why this has happened. Refining capacity in the East has been cut. Exports have been heavy. And as a result, inventories have been tightened. I won't hit you with a pile of numbers here, but by any measurement, there's not a lot of in the tanks on the East Coast. But we know that markets are driven by those two great sentiments, fear and greed. And greed won here. There are numerous reports of heavy imports of diesel into the East Coast that have either arrived or are heading that way. This is not the type of news that's secret in the market. It's all over the place, so it's not as if I'm sharing it with you some rumor that I heard. Where this was felt right away is in the physical market spread between the futures price of diesel and the physical barrels traded in New York Harbor. So we have the futures price on the CME, and then traders quote each other when they're buying or selling barrels in the New York Harbor, which is the basis for the East Coast. They do it as a differential to that CME price. Generally, that price might be measured in a few cents. Could get a little higher sometimes, 10 to 15, but you were usually talking about single digits. In the past few weeks, diesel supplies on the East Coast were so high that a couple of times that spread touched $1.20. That's the sort of thing that doesn't make it immediately into the retail price, but it absolutely makes it into the wholesale price. And you can see that on some of the wholesale prices if you look at your your sonar charts. I've started to look at the data for Allentown a lot because Allentown is a huge area for distribution centers now, right there on Interstate 78, not far from Interstate 81, Pennsylvania Turnpike, 95 is not that far away. So warehouses on every other corner. And when you look at that number, it's just in crazy. Wholesale prices in Allentown are down now $1.35 to $1.40 per gallon in just about two weeks. That is the clearest example I can find of the big East Coast bubble deflating as greed drove traders to send more product into that tight market. Good for them. The other reason you can give thanks as a driver, even if you're not on the road, not even if you're not on the East Coast, is because overall prices are coming down. The price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange is down about 50 cents from a recent high. Yes, it's frustrating because retail prices aren't falling as fast. They never do. But unless there's a reversal in the commodity markets, you've got lower prices to come. Of course, some of the reasons for the decline aren't really all that good. 
There's a general view that some sort of recessionary period is ahead of us or already in it. China continues to impose its harsh COVID lockdowns, uh, driving economic growth down to levels we haven't really seen in years. There's concern about the Western economies, particularly in Europe, and they're paying the highest prices for energy that they have in years. And that's exacerbated by a strong dollar. Add all this up, and it creates bearish sentiment that has played out in pushing the benchmark price of Brent crude oil down about $11 per barrel from a recent high at the start of November. But if you're a driver out there and you're serving this nation's economy driving over Thanksgiving, you will probably be finding a little breathing room as you pull up to the pump. So enjoy it. Welcome back to Drilling Deep here on our Thanksgiving week edition. Our guest of the day is Todd Skiles. He's the Senior VP of Global Sales and Supply Chain Solutions with Ryder, but that really doesn't tell you why we've got him here. You know, all logistics companies seem, certainly so many that I've encountered, say they want to hire veterans. They want to do it not just to honor our veterans, but I think they want to do it because labor is tight and they view veterans as a really a pool of very qualified candidates to do a wide variety of jobs. And that is Todd's job at Ryder. He is a decorated U.S. Army war veteran. He served as a captain and company commander in the Persian Gulf War. And now veterans are his thing at Ryder. So, Todd, welcome to Drilling Deep. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having us. Thank you. Anytime I talk to somebody from Ryder, I want them to describe what they do because Ryder is a three-headed monster. And one of the monsters is so big and so visible out on the roads that people sometimes forget that about half the company are in the two other heads. You're in one of the two other heads. Why don't you talk about what you do? Okay, great. So, yes, Ryder's divided into three three sections. I'm responsible for sales, John, for two out of the three. So my focus is on our uh, warehouse management, our warehousing products, transportation management, Ryder Last Mile, and Ecom, which is basically a shared resource of um, warehouses. And then also our dedicated transportation model, which basically is trucks and drivers and routing and scheduling and all the associated services that go with it. So the interesting part about our business is, as you said, predominantly we were known as a truck leasing company. And for the first time ever in rider history, uh, the supply chain and logistics side of our business will now become the largest part of rider moving forward. Right, because that's that's where you've been making the acquisitions. I know I've written on about a, a few. Exactly, of them. you're exactly right. So now, uh, so let me ask you: Are you uh, is the the, the, the two headed monsters, the dedicated and the SCS? Are they in competition with the other half of Rider for veterans? Or are you uh, both uh, trying to draw from the same pool? Um. Well, we, <laughs> I guess we draw from the same pool, John. I mean, I guess if you looked at it and said, well, if a veteran was interested. Uh, in a in a job, they could come to obviously either side of the business. So I guess in in essence, sometimes there's competition, but on the fleet side of a business, they're they're mostly focused on technicians and management trainees. On our side of the business, we're focused on warehouse work. We're focused on truck drivers, um, and we're focused on management trainees. So you know, a little bit of overlap, John, but but really not a lot. All right, so every company says they want to hire veterans, but you have to put together a program to actually do it. Why don't you describe what Ryder has set up, whether it's just on its own or whether it's working with the Pentagon to ensure a, a fairly steady supply of at least applicants or people that you're trying to recruit in the logistics business right now? What, what do you have to do more than just to, to talk the talk? you got to walk the walk. Well, I think one of the first things we did, John, I know one of the first things we did, and this was way back 
2009-2010, when we realized what a, a great pool of candidates we would have, we, we worked with the military community, uh, a lot of our own veterans also who are currently employed at Ryder, and we talked about what we would need to do to not only entice veterans to want to, to work with us, but the cultural nuances, what were veterans looking for? How could we, how could we better assimilate them into our company? And what cultural part of the company would they feel um, most comfortable with? And we also thought about their families, John. You know, we, we started thinking about this, this transition from a full-time military career into a civilian career not only affects the individual soldier, but it, it really affects his or her families. So we thought about how we could work with their families also to help these guys, first of all, know who we are, entice them to want to come work with us, but not just on the job itself, but on the company itself and how we share many values with our, our veteran community. And uh, how do you do that? Uh, are you are you in touch with the military? Have you kind of signed up as a, I don't want to say, you know, certified employer? What do you have to do to work with the Pentagon to make this happen? Well, I mean, we were, basically we worked, we stepped out and, and did work with certain military parts of the Pentagon, right? We, we worked with um, our liaison, I guess you could say, John, that helped us put together the program. And as I said, we've continued to work and make it very visible. Um, and make sure that the programs that we put together, so three come immediately to mind, John. We have uh, built a dedicated military hiring page so that it's very specific and, and really catering the uh, veteran community. We put together a veteran buddy program, which mentors or pairs up our veteran candidates with past military people who are now in the company so that they feel that there's somebody that, to a certain extent, speaks the language, understands their unique experiences. And then we put together a, a detailed training program for our diesel mechanics, knowing that a lot of the veterans already have uh, experience in, in repairing um, equipment, but just helping them make that transition into repairing civilian equipment versus military equipment. So, you know, those three programs really worked out well. Yeah, that's very interesting to me because, you know, last year, uh, ATRI, when they put out their top 10 biggest issues in the industry, in the trucking industry, the shortage of diesel mechanics made number 10 for the first time. I think it got bumped this year just because fuel suddenly shot up on the list. But, um, you know, that's a problem that's only going to get worse. And, and, uh, and you, here you've got this, this pool of people who've been working on diesel engines trained by somebody else for years. I've got to think that you just view that as a gold mine because that, that's a job that's, in really high demand, short supply of new candidates, and here are all these trained people who you know are going to be out at a certain point looking for a job. No, I, I agree, John. And I think it even goes deeper um, than just the skill set. It's, you know, we, we are not a – our company prides itself on retaining and working with our employees. I know a lot – I know that's somewhat – everybody has that story, but I've got 37 years at Ryder, and that's not that uncommon. Um, I'm not the oldest person in the room in most cases. There are individuals with, with even more time um, than I. So, you know, we try to entice them that just like in the military, if you think about the military and you think about the commitment to the soldier, the commitment to their training, their development, their families over time, their communities, um, you know, we also try to tap into that so that they realize this is not a – we're not really looking for a one-trip pony, but we're looking for an employee that we can work with and invest in over a long period of time. And I think that really appeals to a lot of the veterans. Let's take a little side uh, thing. You, you said you've been there 37 years. 
But as I said, also, you served in the uh, in the Gulf War, in the, the Iraq War, which meant that you stepped out from your period at Ryder to go fight abroad. Can you talk about how that worked, how what your transition was sort of into the military? Uh, you were clearly on active service for a while and then back into Ryder? Well, my uh, my experience, John, and this is <laughs> this is a few years back, as you can only really imagine. But um, you know, we uh, we got activated, and Ryder was very supportive um, in terms of uh, understanding what that would mean, how they would handle um, how they would handle the transition with me. They were very supportive of me and my family uh, as I made the transition. Obviously, I was leaving my family behind. Um, Ryder continued, John, to support me overseas for the entire time I was there. Uh, matter of fact, I think the number of care packages, notes, letters, cigars, other things that a soldier needs uh, when he's away from home, um, really Ryder led the charge on that. Uh, when I got home, I had some family um, situations that I needed to deal with. Um, I think the law says there's a certain amount of time that you have to go back from active duty to back into your position um, Ryder gave me as much time as I needed, um, basically said, hey, you come back when you're ready to come back, and we'll make sure your job's there. So, you know, I, I know not everybody goes through that same experience, John, but for me, it was as good a, an experience of being activated, uh, sent overseas, return home, and then back into your civilian career, I think, as you can get. And we've always prided ourselves on helping soldiers, and like I said, also their families, while they're away, make that transition. Yeah, well, thank you for your service, and thank you to, to Ryder for being so cooperative and working well. But let's talk then about your current employees. I guess when I first started this interview, I was thinking of people who were active and were coming out into civilian life. But I'm, I'm assuming that among your workforce and among your military recruits, you've got some people who are in the reserves who might be activated, sure. who at least have to do some service time every year, you know, I think it's like a couple of weeks a year as in addition to weekends. How does Ryder work with that requirement? Well, you know, over the years, John, we've been able to work with that. You're, you're exactly right. So not everybody that we're recruiting is, you know, leaving active duty. A lot of them are going into the reserves or still have time in the reserves or National Guard. And we need to be able to work with them, but they're still great employees. So, you know, we, we basically set up that we 100% support what they're trying to do. We also realize, John, that, you know, they get out, they have one weekend a month, they do two weeks a year. But if they're transportation and logistics like I was, we got activated numerous times throughout the year when the state of Pennsylvania needed transportation assets. As a company commander, my phone rang and we would get activated for a week or a couple of days in order to help out with some type of uh, emergency. So, you know, we're understanding of that. Um, Obviously, we need to get visibility into what they're up against, but in terms of being able to accommodate it um, and make sure that the soldier, you know, knows that everything's okay back at their job whenever they can return, I think we've done a very good job, and we've retained a lot of our, our um, not only veterans, but as they said, our National Guard and Reserve soldiers. Let's talk. You mentioned it earlier, and I want to come back to it. You talked about culture, the culture rider knowing the culture of the military and trying to align those two in an effort to recruit veterans and not just recruit them, but get them into Ryder and make them happy. We know that turnover is a huge problem in this industry. You don't want to spend all that time recruiting, well, really anybody, but in particular somebody from the military, just to have it all kind of fall apart after six months to a year because the culture is a culture class clash. So how do you align those two? Well, I like to, you know, I think, I think John, that, uh, 
especially larger companies, um, it's, it's normal for a company to think they're a great place for employees to work. But the real proof's in the pudding over time. Um, you know, when I think about my military career as a commander, I was, first of all, responsible for my soldiers. That was number one. They, to make sure they had what they needed to do their job, that they felt comfortable, but they also felt um, that they were well-trained with the right equipment so that, you know, it was, they, they were good. They knew they were good at what they did, but they had the support of command. We also talked a lot about, you know, what else they need to feel comfortable. And as my commander used to say, the soldiers want to know that you know who they are. They want to know that you know who their families are and that you're going to invest the time to get to know them, not just as another soldier. I had a hundred and I guess about 125 soldiers, but that you'll get to take the time and your leadership team knows to take the time to get to know them as individuals and then invest in training and development. Is there a path here where I can continue my career or is this just to do your job and go home? And I think at Ryder for us, that, that culture of training, commitment, dedication to the development of our people, um, that is not uncommon. That was that has been our culture for a long time. So in our situation, it was, hey, we already, you know, we already walk the walk. Um, who else has these values? And the military was just a logical extension of people that we knew would have similar values and would be comfortable in, in an environment like ours. So, you know, I think if, if a company doesn't have the same cultural uh, expectations of its leadership team and it develops that sense of, you know, hey, we bring people on, we hire and we fire, um, I think it makes it tougher for veterans to, to survive. Not that they can't, but I think it makes it more difficult for them to understand that culture and survive in it. I don't know if this is there's an answer to this question, but is there a typical military hire? You, th- you think of... Potential military hires, you can think of somebody who signed up at 18 and they're getting out at 23, 24. You can think of somebody coming out after 20 years. You can think about somebody who's just in the reserves. Uh, is it, are you all over the map or is there a particular type of hire that you really have found is the sweet spot that really tends to work? Well, there's no doubt just because of the ease of transition, John, that the, I'll say that middle 20s, that what you described first is somebody who's going in, done their four to five years, is now excited about joining the civilian world, has uh, a background, typically they're an enlisted uh, soldier, and they look at Ryder and say, hey, that transition looks about as smooth as what I can have. I'm, I'm already driving. I already am a mechanic. Uh, I already have skill sets associated with warehouse work. Um, that is an easier transition, I think, for the soldier and for rider. But we do work hard to try to also look at our management trainee programs and see how we can get more of that middle-level leadership that's coming out. You know, your captains, your majors, your colonels, who are maybe coming out with, as you mentioned, 20 years, 25 years experience. How do we get them to join our leadership team and bring that uh, and bring that leadership or those years of experience over to us. Now, there's far and few, you know, there, there's a lot less of that pool. That's true. And quite frankly, John, I guess you can imagine that the competition to hire those individuals is 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 pretty great. But still, it's it's a major part of what we do for our management team. Yeah, I was, that was my next question. As as I mentioned earlier at the, the top of the uh, top of the show, 
that a lot of companies want to do this. Mo very few companies would say they're not interested in doing this. Um, everybody's got a, a, a veteran hiring plan to some degree or the other. Are you finding out that, you know, this is just really a, a, a really hot competitive space uh, for, for, the, for you to be in? Yes, it is. Um, but but it's, if you said to me, okay, but Todd, if I look at the, the composition of available drivers, warehouse workers, technicians, et cetera, regardless of whether they're a veteran or not, it is an extremely comp competitive workforce right now trying to go out and elicit people. So if you said, well, then is what you're seeing with the veteran community a byproduct of just the, the greater um, – the greater workforce, the answer is to an extent, yes, it is difficult to hire those individuals right now more difficult than it has been probably ever in my career. But but I also believe that, you know, hey, companies like Ryder, especially in supply chain logistics, John, we've got a unique, it's a, it's a unique position that we have because the positions that we're trying to fill are very similar in nature to what they're leaving. So that makes it a little bit easier and like I said, then I think you have to stand in the reputation of your company and the culture that you're putting them in and say, look, we're, we're fine to compete. Matter of fact, we're happy to compete because that means other people are trying to hire our veterans and that makes us happy. Um, our big goal is, hey, the more you learn about us, the more we feel you want to be part of us. How much does it help you that Ride is such a well-known name? And you're competing against other logistics companies whose names might not be known in the general public. You rider trucks are out there all over the place. Um, in your uh, your other division, the, the the biggest head of the three heads that I spoke to, how much of that is a uh, that brand recognition? How much does that help you? You know, John, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, Rider will be over a ten billion dollar company this year, as I mentioned, with the larger portion being our side of the business. So there's no doubt that there's power behind the brand. Um, you know, we're we've been around for over eighty nine years. Um, very well-known U.S. Stock Exchange. We're one of the few companies that still trades on a single letter, R. Um, so that, uh, that's pretty powerful. But, but the downside is that all the um, stigma that comes with a Fortune 500 company is also there. So it's very, very good until it isn't. And I think you're trying to balance off that, yes, we are a big company, but that doesn't mean all the stigmas that come along with being a big company necessarily apply to us. Um, people think about bureaucracy, slow to change, um, lack of vision, lack of commitment to community. You know, there, there are things that people tend to think about when they think about, oh, I, I don't know, I want to work for a big company. And we have to overcome that. And we have to work hard at that. One last question, because we're running out of time here. I'm going to give, ask you to give a little, little advice to your competitors. Um, if a company wanted to start a veteran hiring plan from scratch, what are some of the first steps they should take? I think the very first thing they should probably do, John, is look within inside themselves and see what veterans, I, I almost guarantee there are veterans, there are military people within the organization right now. Identify who they are and help, um, help let them bring experiences that they went through to them and, and think about what you can do to make the experience of transitioning from active duty into a, into your particular company better. Um, think about the local organizations you work with. I'm sure that there are national guard and um, national guard and reserve units within your community. 
people that you may know, maybe your neighbors are associated with them, be working with them. You can start to work with them locally and find out what type of programs are available. There are a number of programs that the military has to help businesses, large and small, figure out how to better entice the, the military community. And then I think the other part is think about your own culture and what, what makes these um, veterans and military folks want to work for your company and make sure that culturally you have as much alignment as you can. Is it a good place for them to come work? And that can be, that can be a hard question to answer, um, but I think it's an important question to answer if you're going to get them and retain them. If you just want to bring them on and train them for someone else, then maybe not, maybe it doesn't matter so much. But if you want to retain them, it's going to have to work for both parties. Todd Skiles, Senior Vice President of Global Supply Sales and Supply Chain Solutions at Ryder. We want to thank you for two things. Thank you for your service thank you. as a captain in the military, and thank you for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Well, I appreciate it, John. It's a great topic, and I really uh, thank you for uh, for having me on, and I wish uh, everyone a happy holiday. Yeah, uh, Me too. So you have been watching Drilling Deep. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our viewers out there. Drilling Deep is part of the family of shows on FreightWaves TV. You can also find us on all the major podcast platforms. I'm your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.